following program contains mature content matter. Listener discretion is advised. Since the dawn of time, the world has been plagued by demons and monsters, cloaked by the night and shadows. However, humanity found out about these creatures and sent out brave men and women to defend their homelands. These are the Tales of the Monster Hunters. Previously on Tales of the Monster Hunters podcast. Reaper 126, please report immediately to the manager's office. The last soul you collected? Care to explain how that happened? He kind of woke up, saw me, freaked out, and ran out the room, and then... You do know not to make yourself visible until they have died, do you not? Up until their death, they are able to see that death is coming for them. What does it matter how they die, as long as they die at the appropriate time? As long as I get their souls, what does it matter how they die? Is that what I'm hearing here? (sighs) It doesn't matter now, Reaper. You're going to be disciplined for your actions. Bloody hell. They actually did it. They sent me back. Our story begins inside the Pizza Guy's Pizzeria. A customer sits reading the newspaper while three tables over, Pat continues to wipe tables down. At that moment, the bell over top of the door chimes as it opens, and Bruno walks inside. Bruno looks over at Pat, and then walks over towards him. Pat looks over at his brother and immediately realizes he is not wearing the same clothes he went out in. Good news, Pat. Good news? Hey, did you change your clothes? Wait a minute, did you even go to the supermarket like I asked you to? For your information, Inspector, I didn't go to the fucking market like you asked me. I also found out why Juliana won't go out with me. I'm betting on uh, common sense. Do you want to hear this or not? My apologies, sorry. Please continue. She is a lesbian. A lesbian? Yes, a lesbian. Why did it take you over an hour to come back? Well, to the common man, once they learn a woman is a lesbian and have no interest in them, it drives them away. But I'm guessing you're not like any common man. Or any man at all. I told her how happy I was she was a lesbian. And then I tried to talk her into letting me come over when her girlfriend comes over so I can watch them when they are together. I told her I'd sit quietly in the corner. But she told me her girlfriend was not as open-minded about things like she was. And that took over an hour. Do you know how hard it is to talk to someone when you have all these pain-in-the-ass customers in the line who are interfering in your conversation? Bastards. What were they thinking? I know, right? What happened to the tomatoes? Did you trade them for a bag of magic beans? Listen, dummy. I had tomatoes, but wasn't allowed to pay for them. What did you do? Don't blame me. Blame that fucking Paulo for banning me from his store. He banned you from the store? Why were you banned? There was this little old lady in line waiting to pay for her carton of milk. And she keeps breaking my balls. She has to get home. So I'm telling her to relax. She snaps back. She doesn't have to relax. And some stupid shit about her being my senior. Blah, 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 blah. So after 10 minutes of going back and forth, I said to her, Why are you in such a rush to get home? Are you afraid you're going to expire before the milk? You said that to her? So old Mother Hubbard storms off after using some salty language, I may add, towards Paulo's office. Juliana tells me that's Paulo's mother. Paulo, the rat fuck, comes storming out of his office towards me, and man, does this prick have a big attitude. Yes, I uh, can't imagine why. 
Well, while the rat fuck is getting all high and mighty with me, I tell him how this is all his fault. He asks, How is it his fault that I insulted his mother? Yeah, how is it? I tell the idiot, If his dear old mom didn't have to pay for her milk, this whole episode would not have happened. I also point out, What type of son makes his mom pay for milk? Well, she starts to go off on him asking how he can let her pay for milk, and he's a bad son. Then he goes off on me, telling me to leave, not to go back to his store. All this is going on while customers are complaining because the line isn't moving. I barely made it out of there alive. So I'm guessing uh, no tomatoes? Sorry, no. But I will be able to sleep better tonight knowing it was nothing to do with me. You know fucking Paolo's gonna tell Nono everything, don't you? Everything. Big deal. That fucker's hated me since I was a kid. You used to steal candy from his fucking store. It's only stealing if you get caught. He didn't steal it, but you did get caught. You're bringing up a good point, Jack McCoy. My what point? You got caught all those times. This whole incident could have been avoided tonight if you had just banned me for life back then. Yes, yes, that makes perfect sense. Thank you so much for clearing that up for me. At that moment, the door is open and Scarlet walks inside. Hey, Scarlet, I didn't expect to see you back on your feet so soon. Last time I saw you, you looked like you are ready to die. Why would you say that to her for, Bruno? Say what, Pat? You said you were going to die. You said that to her. What are you trying to do? Give her a malidio or something? Uh, I don't get you. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's okay, guys. I've made a full recovery. I'm not dying anytime soon. Why is it okay for her to say she won't be dying anytime soon? Are you really that stupid? You're stupid. As Bruno and Pat continue to argue, Scarlet looks towards the woman who is eating the pizza slice, then looks at the time on the wall and sees she has 15 minutes. Hmm, I must say though, Scarlet, near-death experience or not, you are still looking hot. Really? You think that's appropriate, do you? <sighs> I mentioned she looked like she was dying last time I saw her, and you jumped down my throat. I mentioned she was looking hot, and you jumped down my throat. Make up your fucking mind already. Uh, it, it's okay, guys, really. Can I get a slice? So, having your usual, one Hawaiian slice? Good God, no. Pineapple is just wrong on pizza. So wrong. Pineapple or any fruit on pizza, so wrong. Since when? You were the one who put me on the pineapple. Sorry, Pat. Ever since I began to recover, I began to crave pizza with pepperoni. The thought of pineapple just does not appeal to me anymore. Why did you call me Pat? Is your brain still recovering as well? Oh, uh, sorry, Bruno. Honest mistake. Not really. Pat's the ugly one. Oh, my dear God, you are so full of yourself. Would you just get her the damn slice already? Reggie! Reggie! Get your ass out here! Reggie now comes rushing out of the kitchen. What is it, Bruno? Get our hot, undying friend a pepperoni slice. Hey, Scarlet. Good, good to see you back on your feet. Thanks, Reggie. Don't you usually get Hawaiian slices? Let's not reopen that wound, please. Reggie shrugs his shoulders and then walks back into the kitchen as Pat approaches Scarlet. So did they ever tell you what was wrong with you? Just a virus. Some fucking virus. If you'd have gotten any worse, we could have put a black robe on you, put you on a pale horse, and called you death. At that moment, the woman eating the pizza slice begins to cough as Scarlet turns to look at her and sees there is still five more minutes. So Scarlet, now that you're up and about... There was this promise before about you setting me up with your friend, Tala. Are you really bringing that up now? What? She was the one who promised me. Please tell me Scarlet never had sex with this guy. 
Reggie returns with Scarlet's slice just as the woman begins to cough uncontrollably. Scarlet sees the time and sees there is two minutes to go and begins to eat. She's choking! Is she really now? Thank you, Captain fucking obvious. To their surprise, Scarlet sees Bruno run up to where the woman is now standing and gets behind her. What are you going to do? I'm giving it a Heimlich. If you do it wrong, it could kill her. I see your near-death experience has made you more perceptive. Everyone watches as Bruno applies the Heimlich maneuver when the piece of pizza the woman was choking on comes shooting out of her mouth. Scarlet looks at the woman as Bruno releases her and then at the time and sees it is after 9.33. Oh, great. I'm sure I'm going to get blamed for this. <coughs> oh, my God. You saved my life. How can I ever repay you? I'm sure we can think of something. Hey, I know you. You're the manager over at the movie theater. Just thought of something. Free admission and snacks for myself and whoever I bring with me whenever I come to see a movie. You got it. Next time you come see a show, you call for me. I'll make sure you are taken care of. Just ask for Brenda. Will do, Brenda. Speaking of work, I have to get back to it. Scarlet looks on as Brenda shakes Bruno's hand and then walks out the front door towards the curb, then stops and looks both ways. You know what they say, Pat? Do a good deed and you will be rewarded. That's not how the saying goes. Outside, after looking both ways for traffic to pass, Brenda begins to run across the street towards her parked car when she is struck by a city bus. Oh my, someone called 911. Scarlet looks up at the clock on the wall and sees it is now 9.35. I can just imagine how that little spiteful manager is going to pin this on me. Reaper, you should have intervened and not let Bruno stop her from choking. Because you know, that would have made such a good first impression on me, wouldn't it, sir? Doesn't matter, Reaper. We have to follow the natural order fate has laid out. Well, fate's just going to have to call her jets now, won't she, sir? Uh, are, are you okay, Scarlet? Huh? Uh, yeah. Sorry. I was just talking to myself, was all. Seemed serious. Scarlet half smiles at Reggie and then goes back to eating her pizza slice. Pat, what just happened? Well, what you had coming to you just got fucking pancaked by a bus. Joe now comes out from the kitchen. What the fuck is going on out here? One of your customers just got hit by a bus. Oh, is she okay? Uh, did anyone call 911 yet? I'm sure once they spatula her off the front of that bus, she should be just peachy, Reggie. Joe now realizes Scarlet is sitting there. Oh, Scarletta, como si? How you feeling? Good? Bad at home? Uh, yes. Thank you. Joe walks back into the kitchen after giving Scarlet a quick glance. A small ball emerges from Scarlet, invisible to everyone else, and floats outside to where Brenda is laying in front of the bus. It hovers over her body for a moment while a stream of light moves from the body towards it, then floats up and away from the scene. Hmm. Guess I'm off to the Motor City for my next pickup. Reggie now turns to look at Bruno, who is visibly shaken up. Don't feel bad, Bruno. You did everything you could for that poor woman. You should feel good about yourself. Feel good about myself? Feel good about myself? Here we go. Why in the fuck would I feel good about myself? If I had known she was going to hit by a bus after I saved her life, I never would have wasted my time. It pains me to see you suffering so badly, if not more than the poor lady that just got hit by a fucking bus. Scarlet finishes off her drink, then leaves some cash on the counter before she gets up, turns, then looks towards the twins and Reggie. Bruno, Pat, Reggie, 
Good to see you all again. Scarlet now adjusts their baseball cap, then walks towards the door and exits the pizzeria. Bruno walks towards the door and looks out through the glass, then turns back to look at Pat. Son of a bitch! What? Scarlet! Uh, what about her? When she was fixing her cap and raising her right arm up, it exposed the right side of her body, and I saw the mark. The mark? You don't mean... Scarlet's a fucking hunter! Huh, so I guess I'll call 911 then? On the south side of the city, Batista is in the parking lot of Pintastic Alleys watching the people coming and going before he begins to walk towards the front of the bowling alley. As he steps inside, he looks around the busy establishment and then walks towards the counter, where a tall man is handing a pair of shoes to a young boy. The boy walks off and the man looks at Batista. Can I help you? Can I get a lane? All lanes are in use, sir. Let me take your name and I will page you when one becomes available. Sure. It is Bautista. Okay. I'll page you as soon as I have a lane for you. Thanks. Bautista walks away looking up and down the alley from end to end, then walks towards the concession stand and asks for a bottle of water. As he pays and takes the water, he opens the bottle and then takes a swig of water, then takes a step forward before he spills the entire content of the bottle onto the floor. He turns and then goes back to the counter. Amigo, I have spilled my water. That's okay, sir. I'll get it cleaned up. Clean up water spill in front of the concession stand, please. Batista moved behind the small crowd next to the concession stands after ordering another water and begins to wait. After a few minutes, he finished his water and then looked at his watch when from the corner of his eye, he sees the zombie he has been tracking pulling the mop and pail behind her. The zombie is wearing a uniform that consisted of gray khakis and an orange shirt with a Pintastic logo on the right breast of the shirt that had a bowling ball making contact with three pins. Under the logo was a name tag with the name Rhonda on it. Hmm, is Rhonda her actual name? As she begins to mop the floor, Batista watches it, then stops a moment as it looks around, then continued to mop. When it was done, it began to wheel the pail and mop away. Batista waited a moment until the zombie was out of sight, then hurried past the small crowd towards the exit and stepped outside away from the building. He pulled out his phone and called Joe. Pronto! Hello? Hello? Tio, it is Bautista. Bautista? Che, tutti goes okay? Tio, I found her. Huh? Oi, oi, who? You find the who? Huh? The zombie, Tio. I found the zombie. It was a hot and humid Thursday night in Tuxedo City, and as I always did, I let myself be talked into doing one last pickup before my shift ended. And this pickup would not be just some regular pickup. It would be the pickup of a Hunter Solomon Davies. Prasad never told me much about the pickups. All he would say to me was, Alistair, you must go to this location and the name of the pickup. On this night, and I may add very late night, as it was going on 3 in the a.m., I was going downtown towards Benton Avenue. Benton Avenue was a real seedy part of the city, littered with watering holes and grease spoons that no person with any self-respect would be caught in. 
a few nightclubs you only went to if you had low standards, and the most degenerative strip clubs you would think were out of the old grindhouse movies. They were so desolate that if you did not have a tetanus shot before you went in, you would need one after you left. The dancers were not grade A. Maybe C or worse, if you wore a biohazard suit inside of there, you might still leave with something you didn't expect to get. On this night, I was tasked with meeting Solomon in front of the Kit Kat Club. Yes, I know. Could it be a more pretentious name? I slowed my cab up to the curb and looked at the time and saw it was now 10 after 3. The street was quiet, with a few homeless people who had shacked up inside of bus shelters. I rolled my window down, not wanting to make the same mistake I had made last time when I left the motor running with the AC on. I looked over at the Kit Kat Club, which had been closed for over an hour now, and wondered if Solomon was on a hunt or upstairs getting his freak on with God knows who. I took a sip of water that I immediately spit out the window. I looked back to the club and saw one of the lights in one of the rooms upstairs come on. I saw a shadowy figure behind the curtain and hoped it was Solomon. I had no problem with him. I had picked him up many times before and even had to help him out a couple times, which nearly got me killed once. But the sheer thrill of chasing after that vampire and watching Solomon stake it was well worth the near-death experience. The figure behind the window now backed away and then the lights went off. I cursed, then blazed up a menthol and got out of my cab. Damn, it was hot! I took three drags off the menthol and chucked it to the pavement. I stepped on it and then walked around the cab towards the entrance to the right of the club. I turned on the door handle expecting it to be locked, but to my surprise it was not. I walked up 16 steps to the top floor and then stopped and turned left. I tried to guess which room the light had come on and walked by three doors before I stopped at the fourth. I took a deep breath and coughed as I took in the foul odor the hall had to offer and knocked on the door. I heard no movement on the other side and thought I had the wrong room. I was about to walk away when I heard footsteps. I took a step back from the door and watched the door open. Standing on the other side of the door was a very naked woman with long black hair who did not look happy to see me. Oh, can I help you? Um, yes, yeah, sorry to bother you at such a late hour, but I'm looking for a friend of mine and was told he would be here. Sorry, no one here but me. Oh, go wake someone else up. She slammed the door in my face. I had gotten the wrong room. Maybe it was the one before it. There were only ten rooms on the floor, five that faced the street. I walked back and knocked on the door of the fourth room. This time, I heard movement right away. I took a step backwards, expecting to get another cheery person, and when the door opened, I saw not a naked woman, but a very naked man standing there. Yes? Um, yeah, sorry to bother you, but I was looking for a friend of mine. Solomon. The man looked at me a moment, then waved me to come inside. As I stepped into the room, I saw the bed with the sheets pulled back and heard the door close behind me. I turned to look at the man who had put on a robe and was lighting a cigarette. You say you are looking for Solomon? You know him? Yeah, I know him. He was in the club tonight. Showed up after 11. He sat in a booth, had a few beers, then went in the back with one of the girls. Did you see him after that? No, I got busy, mind you. There are a lot of eager beavers in there who can keep their hands to themselves I have to look out for. Do you know the girl he went into the room with? Shana. Shana, huh? 
I looked at him a moment, then drew the 38 I had tucked in the back of my pants. What's this? It's really interesting that you say he had a few beers, but the thing is, last time I saw Solomon, he had just received his one-year sobriety patch, so you want to start again minus the BS? The man chuckled and blew out his last puff of smoke, and then dropped the cigarette butt to the floor and put it out with his bare foot. Are you a hunter as well? Don't change the subject, where is Solomon? He chuckled again, then flashed me a smile before he began to walk towards the closet. He stopped and looked back at me before he opened the door. Two bodies immediately fell out the closet. One was female, and I assumed it was the girl Solomon was with, and the other body was Solomon's. I looked over their lifeless bodies and could see that their necks had been snapped. The woman's body had not been touched, but Solomon's body had been mutilated in certain parts. I must say I do enjoy a nice kosher meal with a glass of scotch, he said looking at Solomon, then looked over the girl. Dark meat. I likes me some red wine to go with it. I was shaking all over. I had never ever seen a dead body, and now I was looking at two of them. Do I smell Italian on you? I finally managed to look away from the bodies and at the man who stood cool as a cucumber. What are you? I asked Damon the 38 with my shaking hand. He began to laugh then flashed his very big sharp teeth at me. We've been called many things over the centuries, but we can go with what they are calling us now. A carnagore. And I may add, unless you have any silver bullets in the R38, you won't be able to stop me. He suddenly came at me and I fired off two shots at him. One missed him, the other struck him in the chest. That did nothing to slow him down. Before I could get the third shot, he checked me hard to the floor. I groaned as I laid on my back and looked up at him as he walked towards me slowly like he had all the time in the world. I looked on the floor around me for anything I could use to defend myself, but I was certain that the pair of slippers not far from me weren't going to be of any use. I looked underneath the bed and to my surprise I saw an old Yellow Pages telephone book. I took one last look across at him as he drew closer and with one hand pulled the telephone book out from under the bed gripped it with both hands and then let my fingers do the walking as I swung and hit him square in the face, which surprised him and staggered him. He growled now as I saw his eyes go completely yellow. Silver, I thought. I needed something silver to kill him. I sat up and felt the hand touch the cigarette he had butted out. Then it came to me. My lighter! It was made from pure silver. He now came at me and tried to grab me, but I rolled out of the way and got to my feet and back up towards the door while I reached in my pocket and pulled out my lighter, keeping it hidden in the fist I had made. I remember overpaying for the lighter, but if in fact it could kill this guy, it would have been money well spent. The man growled more vicious now as he bared his long teeth at me, and then shedding any humanity he had in him, he growled louder, put his hands out in front of him, and charged at me as my back was now up against the door. I watched as he came towards me and pushed the tip of my lighter through my fist, exposing just enough of it. When he was almost upon me, I surprised him as I drove my fist with the exposed lighter at him into his right eye. He stopped suddenly, put his hand on the lighter, and then looked at me with his left eye while blood ran down from his right. He mumbled something incoherent, then staggered backward and fell to the floor with a sick thud. No sooner had this happened that I heard police sirens coming towards the club. I pulled out a mintho and realized I had no means to light it and put it away. 
I groaned and then sat down on the end of the bed. I heard the police car stop outside the club and the doors on the cruisers opened and closing. I knew how this was going to look, but me in the same room with three dead bodies. But I was not too concerned. I would text Passad and let him know what happened. And in return, he would reach out to the guy who cleans up scenes like this. What was his name? Rashmore, Rushmore. I heard footsteps in the hall and a woman I had awakened yelling to the police directions to the room she heard gunshots from. The door was kicked open and the officers charged into the room and ordered me to my feet and to put my hands in the air. As I stood there, hands raised, all I could think about was how lucky I had gotten tonight that something as insignificant as a cigarette lighter had saved my life. I had no intention of quitting my job anytime soon after what had happened. Like I said earlier about the thrill I got watching Solomon's Steak of Vampire, this episode had also given me a thrill, even if it did almost get me killed. I knew now, going forward, I had have to equip myself better since I now plan to not only drive a cab, but to also become a hunter. Thank you for listening to Tales of the Monster Hunters podcast, Volume 1, Issue 11. Back from the Dead. This issue starred Enzo Ferrara as Pat and Joe, Antonio Ferrara as Bruno, Paul Cairns as Reggie, Ashley Tyler as Scarlett, Roberta Jackson as Brenda and Woman in Room, Pablo Lopez as Bautista, Sebastian Papa as Carnager, Nicholas Sykes as Alistair and Tao Harris as the Bowling Alley Attendant. Narrated by Alan Chambers. Editing and music by Alexander Ferrara. Created by Antonio and Enzo Ferrara. Directed and produced by Antonio and Enzo Ferrara. Cover art by Enzo Ferrara. Written by Antonio Ferrara. Coming on Monday, August 7, 2023. Tales of the Monster Hunters Podcast, Volume 1, Issue 12. Pins and Misses. This presentation of Tales of the Monster Hunters Podcast has been brought to you by Giant Monster Productions. Copyright 2023. To contact Giant Monster Productions, email them at giantmonsterprod at hotmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Giant Monster Pro and on Instagram at Tales of the Monster Hunters. If you have enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more, Please subscribe, like, and favorite so you never miss an episode.